Almost Awakened Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right. It is another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I am going solo today. I'm your host, Bill Real. Brittany is uh, not part of the action this week, but she'll be back next week. She really does do a hell of a good job bringing this content to you. She picks about uh, maybe 70 to 75% of our episodes, uh, and she does a hell of a good job researching them. And uh, I've just had so much fun uh, over the last uh, year or so uh, as we have, uh, as she's joined forces on this podcast to be the co-host and uh, the two of us together, I think, are are really having some dynamic conversations. Last week, we did the idea of dangerous ideas. I thought that was an incredible episode. Um, if you listened to that, if you have any thoughts on what you think are uh, the most dangerous ideas, we'd love to have your feedback and perhaps at some point do an episode two where we hash out some of the things that you guys point to as being dangerous ideas out there in society. Um, today, I wanted to talk about privilege and and broken systems and uh, help us maybe understand a little bit of, of what is going on in the world underneath all the narrative. So it, inside our heads, we humans are creating stories about the things that we do. Uh, so when uh, when when somebody abuses another person, when somebody uh, murders somebody, when somebody steals, or when we're kind, when something good happens, when something bad happens, we have all these stories for why we do it. But if you look in the animal world, in the animal world, animals are doing essentially the exact same uh, behaviors that we are. And there isn't these narratives applied to them. This just it's just animals being animals, and and so once you recognize, like, hey, we humans at some point created stories to explain why we do what we do and to make sense of it, because this is a chaotic world. Then we can begin to kind of set some of those stories aside and to see maybe what's going on underneath them. I say that because if we go back 13.2 billion years ago and some people go, Bill, it's 13.7. Okay, great. Let's argue over a half a billion years. Um, but 13.2, 13.7 billion years ago, uh, something happened, right? A little moment happened. We don't know what it is. Again, we talked last week. There's this idea that, you know, universes can expand so far, then they slow down. And when that happens, when they come to a stop, essentially they'll be sucked back in. There'll be another explosion and another universe starts all over it. And again, I'm not a scientist. I don't understand that stuff. But just to recognize that as far as our story goes about the universe around us, the narrative we tell ourselves, 13 point uh, something billion years ago, a thing happened. And from that moment, from that little moment, everything has expanded out to the point today where space is so uh, expansive 
and uh, we're on this rock flying through space. Um, and here we are on this rock, a, a, really a tiny rock in the scheme of everything. We're kind of like a like a ant on 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 just the you know, pimple on the ass of the universe, and uh, as far as a planet, and and that wouldn't even do it justice. It's a million times bigger than that. And when you recognize, like, here we are, we're this human species. So of all the life that started all that time ago, and at some point, I think they say four and a half billion years ago, planet Earth began to, to essentially be something like that. And, uh, you know, algae on the ocean and bacteria and what, you know, all it starts off with these small little life forms that are fighting to survive. That's important. They're fighting to survive. And these life forms evolve little by little to become more complex creatures. And you end up with, uh, you know, certain uh, single cell organisms, and then you've got multi-cell organisms. And uh, over time, you've got, and I'll, and I'll put in the show notes for this, there's a beautiful YouTube video that runs the viewer through the entire 13.2 billion history. And it talks about how this planet developed and how each stage of evolution of life uh, progressed. But we fought so hard to survive as single cell organisms, and then, you know, then amoebas and algae, what, whatever it is, you come up with your uh, diagram of, of how life evolved. But at each stage along the way, we fought so hard to survive that here we are billions of years later and it is ingrained in us to survive. And the world is chaotic. Good and bad is happening, but it's not even good and bad. Good and bad is the story we apply to it, right? There's that Buddhist story where uh, somebody comes along and goes, you know, your, your kid got uh, uh, hurt on a, on a horse. Is it good or bad? And good or bad, I do not know. I cannot tell. Who's to know what is good or bad? And then the next stage is that that injury keeps him from going into the military of that country. So the neighbor comes along and goes, man, isn't that good? And the father goes, is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? And by him not going to the military, he ends up contracting an illness that uh, because there's a sickness in the in the town. And so the son ends up dying and neighbor comes along and goes, isn't that bad? And is it good or bad? Who's to know? Because we never know, like good things and bad things are only how we feel about them in this moment. But we don't even comprehend all the repercussions and ripples that take that off and, and what comes of it. And so some moment in our life we perceive as bad might have been the catalyst for the most amazing things to happen a few years from now. And then those amazing things that seem so good also have ripples. And then maybe a few years later, something atrocious happens that we can point back to that amazing moment and go like, man, that led to that. And so here we are inside our heads as human beings, and we're, we're trying to make sense of this chaotic world around us because the universe, the world in front of us is unfolding right in front of us, just as it is. And it's us who are uh, so, so innate inside us to want to be safe, to want to feel security, to want to be okay, to not want any change really, because our if our world's okay today, we want it to stay okay. And, and so over the course of billions of years, whatever we are and whatever we came from behind us, it is innate in us to want to 
be safe, secure, and to perpetuate and to survive. And, and along the way, human beings came up with language. So for the first time, we could start to apply stories to why it is that we do what we do. Do we think that other primates have complicated stories about who they are and where they came from and where they're going? They don't. They can pass along a basic amount of information, and they too are dealing with their feelings, right? So uh, the silverback gorilla feels a disturbance inside of him, and he takes it out on the rest of his family. And, and we humans are doing much of the same behaviors, and we have these complex stories about what we do and why we do it. And so I, I'm setting up the conversation because what I want to do is I want to talk about privilege for a moment, and I want you to comprehend, it because privilege is so important to understanding why humans do what they do and to understand the entire animal kingdom also is doing it. So this world is so harsh right? We're lucky as humans. We build ourselves houses. We go to the grocery store to grab food. We work eight hours a day so that we can make some money so that we can pay for the roof over our head and the food on our table. And if we're lucky, if we're lucky, we're born in the right place at the right time because it could have been a different place and it could have been a different time. And by being born at the right place in the right time, you have a little extra income. So we do things called vacations, or we buy nice cars, or we get a new piece of furniture. And we're constantly wanting to buy things to, to establish like, oh, like maybe this thing will help me feel happier and safer and more secure. And then we buy that thing and it, it doesn't really do much for us for very long. And we occupy our time with video games and entertainment and watching sports on television or going to an event because we have so much time, so little time to spend on this planet. And we want these present moments filled with entertainment. So we, we play uh, Farmville or Angry Birds on our phone for hours because we want to feel okay, safe, secure, and be entertained knowing that this world is harsh. And, and so there's a certain amount of trauma that comes to us human beings, regardless of how we live out our life, right? Like there is a, a certain amount of trauma that we all collectively have to take on. Even just the process of a person being born into this world is traumatic. This baby, and who knows how the baby feels about being in a belly for nine months, right? There comes some point where that, that uh, I'll say creature, is has some sort of consciousness and some sort of awareness. Do we think they enjoy being in the belly? Are they, are they pleasantly happy? Or is it uncomfortable to be bunched up? Is it uncomfortable to be encased in a small space? Is it uncomfortable to be in this darkness and have these weird noises that are just outside of you that you can't tell what they are or what's going on? 
And, and we don't know how to even make sense of that, but we know that the birthing process of a child is traumatic for both the child and the mother. But such is to be human. And so there's this certain amount of trauma that we collectively agree to take on ourselves as humans, and we we can't even pass it off. It's not even really like, oh, I agree, and you agree. It's like, hey, shit's going to happen, and we're just going to have to deal with it. And if we go back 200,000 years or 20,000 years, and we think about whatever we were then out on the, on the Serengeti trying to survive, we had just come out of the trees and and... Uh, some of the forest land had receded. And so here we are walking upright on the Savannah or the Serengeti. And we're, we're trying to make it, trying to survive, trying to uh, perpetuate our species because somehow we have an allegiance to our offspring, us's, and we have less allegiance and sometimes no allegiance and sometimes bad wishing upon the thems, right? There's the us's and the thems. And so as our species is trying to survive and as we create language, we begin creating myth stories about who we are and what we are and where we came from and where we're going. Because myth stories were one of the best technologies in order to pass down narratives that would help the next generation be able to discern us's and them's, good and bad, rules and rule breakers, like rule keepers and rule breakers, and which rules are good and which ones aren't. And when you recognize like the rules that us as a society create, we create rules for the people collectively to be able to survive, perpetuate, and pass along the technologies that are necessary for us human beings to survive in our group, not those human beings over there in their group, they're them and we are us. And you recognize that like, again, thousands of years ago, we didn't have uh, homes, we didn't have jobs, we didn't even have governments or systems. We were just some sort of species trying to survive, and we had our own group that we collaborated with, that we worked together with. But the world was harsh. It wasn't easy to come by food. It wasn't easy to secure safety. So we sat inside of a cave or we sat outside uh, around a fire, but we, we did the best we could. And wherever we could create additional safety, anywhere we could make this harsh world, let it be less apparent to us how harsh it was and how much chaos and complexity there actually was in the world. We, we did it. We tried to avoid that. We didn't, we didn't want to deal with the harsh realities as much as we could avoid it. And so, so every human being is going to go through this life being traumatized. Every human being in this world is going to be uh, affected by things that come in and bump into us, causing some harm, causing some discomfort, causing sickness and death. Can you fathom 10,000 years ago 
how common death was with all the ages, how, how many babies died in the birthing process, how many mothers died in the birthing process, how many children died being eaten by animals as they wandered just beyond the safety of the tribe? Do we fathom how much violence there was from one tribe to another? And so we created systems to create safety. These are the systems and these are the rules and here's how we'll engage each other because we're trying to create the appearance of order, the appearance of safety. But in the midst of it, there is trauma. And we have no choice but to accept a degree of trauma being imposed on us by the world unfolding right in front of us. So I want to talk for a moment about privilege. Privilege is the ability to avoid some of that trauma by which another person or collection of humans have to take it on. So when we look at the privilege of uh, being a male, for instance, because men are bigger and stronger and faster than women generally, because women uh, are the childbearing gender of our species, and because pregnancy and having less strength, size, and speed, women have through all this time, thousands and thousands of years, until you go back to we are something other than male and female, and having that discrepancy of size, speed, and strength, from the moment that discrepancy showed up on the scene, women, in order to survive, were more reliant on men. And what this did was this caused that men were in a position of privilege. I've sat in conversations with uh, friends, book clubs, and, and, and groups of people where when women feel really safe, they speak to that discrepancy of privilege and how all of us are trapped to some degree in the lives that we are in, but that women feel more trapped in the lives that they are in because they can perceive that discrepancy of privilege and they do not have the privilege that the man has to do what the man does. You look at uh, issues of privilege among race. Certain people started off in charge and we went to other locations and we grabbed people who were a different color than us and we forced them onto boats at the, at the threat of violence to them. They, you do not have a choice. You will die or you will get on that boat. And the numbers were such that the people of color were racked and stacked on the boats because they didn't have the ability they didn't have the privilege to say no. And so all throughout human history, whatever uh, segments of our humanity, of our collective, were in positions of privilege, we chose to allow others or imposed on others that they accumulate additional trauma so that we could avoid it. You see, Every time 
other groups because I'm a white European cisgender male who happens to be born in a country that, uh, that has things pretty good for me. Because of that, I'm privileged, and by that it means that I'm able to avoid the hardship and traumas of this world to a greater degree than others, and those others have to take on additional difficulty, trauma, hard times, less opportunities. So when you sense that as you walk through this life, if you'll just sense the privilege that you have, that others don't have it as good because they can't have it as good so that you can, you begin to sense the real unfairness of it. When, when, I, when I hear about systemic racism, there are people out there who, um, and I didn't have this in the outline, so I'm going to try to riff on this for a moment and we'll see if this makes sense. When people talk about systemic racism, there are groups of people or there's a collection of people who go like systemic racism isn't real. There are even people of color who say systemic racism isn't real. And the argument is that we live in 2022. There is uh, equal opportunity. If if a person in Compton, if if a person of color in Compton, California wants to go to college, they have the ability to go to school, get their grades just as good as somebody in uh, in Connecticut, and be able to go to college, get an education, get a job, and the world is set up that if they will make the effort, that they will be able to have that opportunity the same as the rest of us. And, and I think you intrinsically, if you sit with it for just a moment, you intrinsically understand that that's bullshit. That because we went to another country and we took a people of a different color and we racked them and we stacked them on boats, brought them over here and enslaved them. You have to wrestle with the idea that how long does it take for you to take those people who you enslaved, you free them sort of. How long does it take them to enjoy the same benefits of society that you enjoy? And the reality is they're not caught up yet. And we've made it difficult for them to catch up. And so systemic racism, racism is the idea that uh, there's a certain amount of time that has gone by. So again, we go slavery from the 1800s, right? And earlier. And then we go like, okay, but now there's uh, equal but separate, right? So they're using different water fountains. People of color have to use different water fountains. They have to go to different schools. They have to live in poorer neighborhoods because they're not paid as well. And now we fast forward and we go like, did they get them? Are they out of those neighborhoods yet? Do they have equal quality hospitals? Do they have equal opportunity to good school systems? Is the amount of violence the same in their neighborhood as mine? And as you sit with that question and you and you really go like, oh, let me go back in time and see what we did to them, and let me go through each moment and just recognize like what progress has been made. And the reality is in this moment, collectively, they're still in poorer neighborhoods. They still have worse hospitals. They still have lower quality school systems. 
They still have less opportunity. They have more stress on their lives due to the lack of education and violence in their communities. So we're not there yet. There's still still systemic racism. And, and the rest of us go like, oh, I don't want to sacrifice my good hospital. Like, I want to continue to live in my good neighborhood. And, and I'm not saying that like, oh, let's, let's swap it out. Like we'll all move to your houses and you move. That's, that's nonsense. But can you sit with a moment with how privilege works? Privilege is the ability to avoid or pass along hard things, trauma, difficulty to someone else, to allow some other group to deal with it. And, and I want to take it from there to this idea of systems. There are tons of systems out there. And I often sit with people as we have great, deep conversations. And to talk about how like systems built themselves the way they did, like the United States of America or the Episcopalian Church or the Rotary Club, or the, um, you name it, like pick any group or system that has an organization. Those systems have built themselves certain ways, right? And and when we look at systems, systems uphold certain people. Like we could have, we could have built a system that took the wisest among us and made those folks the decision makers. We could have created systems that valued wisdom, that valued uh, uh, the policymakers being the people who could best deal with the disruptive feelings from the world around it and be able to be the most calm and wise in making decisions. But that's not what we did. Look around. Look at the political parties in this country and who leads them and who on November 2nd of any given year uh, on the first, you know, the first Tuesday of any November and look at what our options are in terms of who we can elect and who we don't even have a chance to. Like the system puts out front the people that tend to be very similar to the people that we've had before running these systems. Because the people in power, the people with privilege, those folks are supported by the system and they sure as hell don't want it to change. And so you're, you, you're brought to believe you have this significant choice. Like here's these 10 candidates and I can pick the best human being. And if we all collectively vote for the best human being, but then you don't recognize like money and power deeply impact who the final choices are in the primaries, in the final election. The system is made to put forth the people that it does. And the people that it does are never the folks who are really level-headed and mature and wise and responsible and ethical and moral it doesn't bring those people to the forefront. And 
if you notice, those people generally don't win. And then they do win. They are castigated within our society by the media to the point where we all lose trust in them quickly and we move back to doing something else again. But we could have built this world a million different ways, right? We could have a system that solves the problem of supporting people with mental illness. Not that we can necessarily solve mental illness yet. We are on that track, by the way. But we could have a system that is much more supportive and healthier to folks of mental illness. We, we could be much better to folks in poverty. We could do better than we do. And, and yet we, we kind of go like, well, we're doing all right. Let's just keep this system. Because there are people at the top of the system who are appreciative that the system works the way it does. Because they get their nice cars and their fancy boats and their big houses. They get to have their nice things and live longer, having access to greater health care. They get to get better education. Hence, they get a better chance that their kids get to be in a good situation and their grandkids get to be in a good situation. And those folks in power aren't going to give that up because the system works for them. And I think to myself, like, again, we have this survival mechanism inside of us. I want to be safe. I want to be secure. And so anything I can do to help me and my wife and my children and my grandchildren and my friends to be safer and healthier and more secure. We have little tiny uh, nudges inside us that uh, work to create a safer, better environment for the people that we care about at the expense of others who don't look like us or talk like us because there's still us's and them's. And so when you, when you recognize that we could have thousands of years ago heavily valued systems that made the wisest of choices. We look around at Russia fighting with Ukraine right now and you, and you recognize what ego when out of control does. And let's be honest, for almost all of us, our egos are out of control. I was thinking about Jesus. I put a post on Facebook today. If you if you were to take away anybody listening who um, has any interest in Christianity at all, believe it or not, I, I dare you to try and take all your lenses away and sit down with the New Testament and read it for the first time with new eyes. Read the New Testament going, all I want to do is I, I want to say like, look, I'm not going to believe anything anybody told me. I'm going to read the New Testament and I'm going to try to get at the heart of who Jesus is. And what you realize when you read the New Testament and you shed all of your, your prior lenses as much as possible, you realize that Jesus of the New Testament, whoever he was, this Yahshua bar Yosef, he was a... Uh, 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 itinerant preacher who rebelled against the system. He was a Jew who said, I don't like the way this Jewish system works. 
And every time some conflict happened, he would speak out trying to get uh, to, to turn the system on its head and trying to call attention to the uh, egoic behaviors of the leaders of that system. He was constantly being kind and forgiving to the sinners, and he was calling attention to the uh, unethical abuse of the, of the leaders of his system. Excuse me. And, uh, and and he dies, and whatever whatever that is, again, I don't believe he rose in three days, but you can believe whatever you want. Do you grasp that the people who then took charge of his teachings and created religious systems and political ones, but created religious systems where they pretended to hold Jesus up on a pedestal were the very people that he was critical of in the New Testament. In other words, the very people who he was pointing to and saying, those guys are unhealthy, are the very folks who uh, sabotaged the system and said, we'll just make it work for us. And, And so now you have all of these haughty, deceptive, religious leaders who create systems of obedience, systems where those people who he pointed to still get to be in charge. Hmm. How did that happen? How did system leaders who are privileged at the top get to be in charge of Christianity when the head of Christianity, Jesus, said, let's get, let's get rid of this bad stuff that goes on within systems from its leaders. Was that unintentional? So you sit with that for a little bit and you think like, how did that work? And, and so when I read the New Testament, I see Jesus going like, man, let's tear it down. Let's take it apart. Let's 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 start creating something that is more supportive of the individual. These systems don't do the trick. And again, we could have built these systems a thousand different ways, a million different ways. But these are the systems that we built. And the people that benefit, ask yourself, who are the folks that benefit from these systems? Who benefits? from the system we have in this country? Who benefits from the system in Russia? Who benefits from the system in Denmark? Who benefits? And, and you start to ask yourself, for instance, we, we, I've said this before in the podcast, we claim that the United States of America is the best country on earth. And if you look at the factors for happiness and contentment and uh, uh, positive view, outlook about the future, uh, the ability to get educated, the ability to get good health care, um, the, the highest ones on that, if you pick the countries where their data can be trusted, the highest ones on that are the European countries like Denmark and Netherlands and Switzerland, Finland. Those are the places. What are they doing differently? Why did they build their system different? Who were the policymakers and decision makers in those systems? 
Who do those systems benefit? And then you look at all the worst places you could be born, right? And you and you say, like, who do those systems benefit? Who's in power there? Who's privileged there? And then you begin to realize, like, all of us are essentially being strung along so that a few people at the top get to enjoy the best of things. And the rest of us are responsible to build their widgets to build their thingy-majigs, to help them have nice things. And they give the rest of us just enough of nice things and pit us against each other so that we'll fight amongst ourselves and keep the system going just as it is. And when the system finally is recognized by enough people to not be working, then rebellion happens, civil discord Civil wars start, governments are overthrown, and we start all over again, but with people in power and privilege once again still being at the top. Might be a different group of powerful people, but it's powerful people, privileged people nonetheless. And I was thinking, I was reading a book on Buddhism this morning, and this idea that you can't ever see the Buddha or know the Buddha. Like the Buddha can only be known through enlightenment. And I and I and if you recognize like you can't know the Buddha other than to be enlightened. It's pointing you to something. Um and and what it's pointing you to is that when you are acting in the uh the state of mind of being present and aware. You get to step off of the hamster wheel of all the programming that the people in power and the systems around you have given you. And you get to take a deep breath and realize that you are right here, right now, that you're all by yourself, and you're connected to everything around you. And that in this moment, you get to show up being your best and wisest self. I One of the things I constantly try to talk about when I'm in conversations with people is the idea that you are in a play. You are. This, you are, you're, you're the observer inside your mind. You're the observer who's watching the world unfold in front of you. And you've got... Uh, thoughts that come into your head that you have really very little control over. I don't believe there's uh, free will. But in the midst of all of that, you can take a deep breath in this moment and you can do this moment with intention. You can do this moment with compassion. You can do this moment with kindness because you're just an actor or an actress on the stage of this world play. You play a part and you could this day be a hundredfold more intentional, more present, more aware as you enter this day of, of acting out on this stage in front of the world and you get to be whatever person it is. So um, let me say it differently. 
sometime today, something's going to happen that's going to make you feel discomfort. You're going to have feelings of anxiety. You're going to have feelings of sadness or hurt or confusion, disruption of some sort, one sort or another. But if you're present and you're aware and you are living in this moment, you get to act as a wise actor and, and be, you can, you can be whatever the world um, sees you as. Let me give an example. Mr. Rogers. Um, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers all the time. I mean, I don't remember if it was the morning or if I came home from school, but I remember being a kid and watching Mr. Rogers on the daily. Also loved Mr. Dressup. Remember Finnegan the dog? Mr. Dressup. I loved Mr. Dressup. Mr. Dressup and Mr. Rogers could be inside their head, they could be pedophiles. They could be the most dastardly people on the planet. But because they show up not ever doing anything harmful to somebody that we are aware of, and let's assume they didn't, let's assume Mr. Rogers was always kind to people. If you watch the Tom Hanks movie of Mr. Rogers, the way that uh, Mr. Rogers is portrayed in that movie is that there's something going on inside his head that you can't quite put your finger on, but something's not right. Something's not healthy about that man. Now, I, I don't know about the real Mr. Rogers, but in the movie that Tom Hanks portrays him, there's just some tension. But every instance that Mr. Rogers is given the chance to act out in the world, he acts with integrity, kindness, compassion, understanding, acceptance, love. And so we watched him as an actor on the stage of this life. And he's one of the folks we go like, man, that guy was just amazing. He just did the right thing at every turn. You have the ability, if you are present, to do the right thing. And your capacity to be good in the world, to be affecting the world for good, increases exponentially when you're present and aware, recognizing that you get to be intentional in this moment. And it will affect everything. It'll affect the uh, conflicts that you and your spouse have. It'll affect the conflicts you feel at work. It'll affect uh, the conflicts that you feel with, with, uh, with health and with financial issues. And you get to show up this day being your best self in this moment. Do me a test. For the next 24 hours, be so intentional. Every time something happens, be aware of what's happening and sit with your feelings and try to show up in the world as your healthiest, best self. Now imagine if a hundred of us did that, that weren't going to do it if this conversation didn't take place today. Imagine if a thousand of us did that for 24 hours, acted in the world with deep intention, being deeply present. That's the life I'm trying to live now. I'm not perfect at it. I, I sometimes, you know, on Facebook, somebody says some shit, somebody does something. I still get poked. My ego still wants to act out. 
but your ego is not your friend. Your ego in a past time served you well. It protected you from forces that were trying to harm you and hurt you. But your ego is lying to you now. It was lying to you then, but it is lying to you now. You have the chance to show up in this world, quieting that ego down and being able to show up as your best self. How does that affect me in real life? Here, I'll tell you. When when folks come along and they're having conversations with me, um, um, somebody starts to express to me that they're having a rough moment. We have this game we play in conversation where you tell me your rough moment, I tell you my rough moment, and we move on to some other subject. Oh, that's too bad. Let's uh, Let's move on. Let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you about how my week went. Let me tell you what cool thing I did, right? And, and, but what would happen if you just stopped for a moment and you said, Hey, whoa, let's slow down. You brought up something that I can sense would be really difficult. I can't imagine what that would feel like. Tell me about that. Like, let me, let me sit for a minute with how you're feeling. That has to be really hard. I can't imagine dealing with some of the things you're dealing with because some people on this planet are dealing with really hard things and whatever each person's hard thing is to them, it's really hard. What would happen if we stopped moving on to the next story so that we could pass this moment by going like, oh, that moment's okay too. That moment's okay too. Like we play video games so that we can just feel okay for another hour. So that we don't have to deal with the harsh reality of this world. But what if you stopped and you sensed that the person across from you is just you under a different set of circumstances and you really with intention spoke to them, wanting to know how they feel and what's going on and, and how are you dealing with that? That had to have been hard. Tell me how you dealt with that. And what you realize is if you if you sit in your life today with that much intention, you'll recognize something magical happening. Whereas you're acting, as you're being an actor and being your best self, you'll sense like how much, um, how much pleasure comes from being present and aware and acting with intention in the world around you as it's unfolding right in front of you. And, and so we all kind of just are hypnotized walking through this life and we're, and, and the systems have convinced us, Oh, there's another life out there. You're going to die someday. And, and then you'll get to enjoy everything. Then you'll be at peace. Then your health will be good. Then all's going to go well. Then you'll ride on go uh, gold paved roads. Then you'll get to be with your family again. But what if this is all you have? is these present moments until you're gone. What kind of actor do you want to be? What kind of actress do you want to be? You get the chance today to go like, oh, this is the way they've built the systems. This is the way it's built. But I don't have to be, I don't have to be a loyal follower of the system. I can step off the hamster wheel and begin to lead a life the way I want to lead it. My 
my challenge here wrapping up, I I know that you'll probably sense some disconnection, but I promise you there isn't. I hope that you hear this conversation today and there's something that draws your attention to the way you are and the way you show up for the people you care about. Again, it is hard to be kind to your enemies. It is hard to give people who hit you with hard disagreement to give them the benefit of the doubt. It is difficult to relinquish your your beliefs or your understandings to, to someone else who is pushing against your beliefs and understanding. But man, maybe today just start with the people you love and you care about. Maybe today try to be intentional. I'd love to hear back from you. If you really make this effort, there's whatever, there's 1,500 people who listen to the podcast here, and there's about 3,000 people who will listen to the audio uh, here on YouTube, I mean, because I'm sitting here looking at the screen and I see my face on it. There's about 1,500 people who will listen to this uh, episode within the first month or so on YouTube, and then there will be about another three to 4,000, 5,000 people who will listen to this audio on third-party podcast apps when I publish it in a few days. Give me one day where you see yourself as an actor and see yourself being trying to be so present and intentional and treating every interaction, every moment as if it's sacred. The, the past is just memories and the future never comes. All you have is right here, right now. Recognize that this world could have been a build, could have been built a bunch of different ways, and it wasn't. Because the people who create the policies, the people who make the rules, the people who were in privilege and power, wanted it this way. And what can you do to show up on the stage this day? to make things better, to make things more peaceful, more compassion, more kindness, more service, more love, more authenticity, more transparency, more safe spaces, more fairness, more understanding. What can you do and then I'd like to hear back from you. For anybody who took this challenge and did it, would you go on YouTube and leave a comment and say, this is how, th this episode, I, I just, I did the test. I tried to do what Bill said. I tried to take my life so seriously today in terms of every interaction I had with every other life form that I came into contact with. I tried to show up so healthy in the world and here's what happened. And then in a few weeks, we'll review those. We'll look at some of these comments and we'll say, man, like, like here's the effect it had. I would really love to know that from you. Folks, just FYI, whatever donations this podcast brings in, I don't take any of those personally. Um, the way it works out is all of the podcasters in our umbrella, they get to keep a significant portion of what is brought into their podcast. and. 
Um, I started this whole work 10 years ago, and I'm the executive director of this nonprofit, Mormon Discussion Incorporated, which hosts a multitude of podcasts. Uh, it, it works to be supportive of a whole host of podcast uh, hosts. And um, every podcast host, the, the first year, they don't get anything. Um, their podcast doesn't get anything. They don't get anything. But after year one, they get to keep a significant portion of what is brought in. Because we've gotten to the point where we're big enough, I'm paid a salary by the board of directors. And and that salary, uh, I, it's not impacted per se at this point by what is brought into any of these podcasts. So Scott Dyer, who's the Rami Umptum Ruminations, he, he just passed the one-year mark and he currently gets that significant portion of what is brought into his podcast. And then a small amount stays with the entity to help pay for websites and all that kind of stuff. And my salary, of course. But but that comes out of that other chunk that just stays. In the Almost Awakened podcast, for instance, in Mormonism Live, uh, Radio Free Mormon and I split a portion of that. Um, in, in this podcast, Almost Awakened, Brittany keeps the majority. I don't get a portion of it. Uh, a portion goes to the entity and the rest of it goes to Brittany Hartley. And it's because I, um, I want this podcast to feel like it belongs to her because she originally came to me and said, I want to do a podcast with you, Bill. I, I, and not with me personally, just within the entity. She goes, look, I want to do a podcast called um, uh, No Nonsense Spirituality. And that's why it's the subtitle, by the way, to this podcast when we rebrand it a little bit. The logo you see up in the up in the corner there, if you're watching YouTube. A no nonsense approach to spirituality. That's what that's what she wanted. And uh, within a few weeks of kind of putting all that stuff in order, she said, "You know, I need another person to have conversations with." And I I said, "Britt, I'm really pulled in a lot of directions. I'm trying to be the executive director of this uh, of this nonprofit. I'm really trying to put my time and energy into helping it be successful." If, if you'll come on and really take the lead on this Almost Awakened podcast, then, then you like, like it should benefit you. And here's how we'll work that out. And so how we work that out is she keeps the podcast host portion entirely of Almost Awakened. And I think she's doing a great job. So when I say, folks, please make a donation to Almost Awakened, it really doesn't benefit me. Um, I mean, it adds more, there's a small percentage that goes into the coffers of the, of the entity and my salary is paid from that, but our, our entity has grown to the point where I think I'm going to be fine going forward. And I'm not that concerned. When I ask you to make a donation, it's so that you can help Brittany Hartley have enough income coming in that this podcast is worthwhile to her, that her and hopefully I We'll be having conversations with you for a decade more, for two decades more. And, and we don't sell a product. We don't, we don't have anything that we can put out there and make money on per se. We're a nonprofit and we make our money on donations. So folks, if you're enjoying these conversations, would you do me the huge favor of supporting Brittany Hartley and the Almost Awakened podcast? By going to almostawakened.org, click the donate button and send her five bucks a month. Send her 10 bucks a month. I know there are folks out there that have the capability to do 20 and 50 and 100. 
we have folks out there who donate $1,000 a year or $2,000 a year. Would you please consider helping us to have these dynamic second half of life conversations where we give you the tools and resources that you can continue deconstruction and reconstruction, building up a life that is of more value to you and to the world at large. Thanks so much. Everybody tune in to almostawaken.org. Um, uh, check us out on our YouTube channel, uh, which is Mormon Discussion Incorporated. And uh, I hope you're enjoying the things that we're doing. And I really very much appreciate the conversation that I was able to have here today with you. You're an actor and this is a play. Be intentional because when you are, your better self shows up and that makes the world around you better. And it will bring you, it will bring you benefits that you can't even imagine until you actually make the effort to do this. And I'm, I'm actually eager to see the comments in regards to this episode. Have a great day. And uh, I hope today helped you to become just a little bit more almost awakened. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman. 